Thank you for choosing Tox News, your only source into uh, staying woke with a red bone long enough to get out of the new neoliberal skullduggery, if you will. I'm your host, that wacko weirdo rebel scum Jedi hero, depending on which side you're sitting on. Today's date is June 2nd, 2021, about a year since I started doing this thing. And we begin with the Pledge of Allegiance, the Tox News way. I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all. Long episode, uh, I think I'm calling it Rage Against the Woke Machine, and we'll get into all of that as the segments come in. But we begin, as always, with the beginning of this week's episodes or any week's episodes with the Militia Watch update. You can get it yourself at Militia.watch with further readings, and you can follow them on Twitter at Militia Watch. But we begin here with these sets of points. We start with the J6 arrestee says cops didn't tell him not to storm the Capitol. National Guard leaves D.C. Bundy announces run for governor. And Grandmaster Jay and Kyle Rittenhouse have legal updates. So, beginning with the J6 updates, a man charged with bringing weapons to D.C. has uh, also had ties to militia groups. Lonnie Kaufman, a 71-year-old Texas resident, trained at a well-known militia training facility, according to court documents. In 2020, after the election, Kaufman also attempted to meet with Ted Cruz in D.C. A member of the senator's office staff said Kaufman seemed, quote-unquote, not 100% there. In other news, another man charged last week, uh, James Brehenny apparently invited the head of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, to plan uh, to a planning meeting before the J6 storming. Uh, Brehenny claims that he didn't think he was breaking the law entering the U.S. Capitol building because, quote, none of the police officers he encountered told him to stop, unquote. In other news, a Florida school district officer, allegedly a Q adherent and a militia member, is set to enter court soon due to his involvement in the J6 storming. And there's a a link to that story as well in this Militia.watch update, which I have included in the description, so go check it out. Uh, In other J6 updates, the final remaining contingent of National Guard troops occupying D.C. is now withdrawing. Despite continuing police reports of threats of far-right violence, New Jersey Attorney General Gruel spoke to, uh, or I guess Gruwal, General Gruwal, I don't know, spoke to Congress on the rise of militia extremism and white supremacy. Michigan Attorney General Nessel also testified on militia activity, describing her state as quote-unquote ground zero of militia activity in the U.S., um, a little bit of validity there since the governor, uh, Governor Whitmer of Michigan, was had a plot against her by the Wolverine Watchmen to abduct her and hold her in a kangaroo court for her crimes of being a tyrannical leader, at least in their words. So in other militia news, we have drama in Idaho. Ammon Bundy of the People Rights Organization and previous Bundy occupations has filed to run for governor of Idaho. Members of his organization also just set up another occupation over farmer access to irrigation water in Oregon and are awaiting his arrival. The lieutenant governor of the state has announced she is also running for governor. Lieutenant Governor Mick Geechin 
is perhaps most famous for her statement that she would resist lockdowns of the state, wielding a Kimbo, a Bible, and a gun as she made the announcement. McGeechan recently launched a, quote, task force to examine indoctrination in Idaho education, unquote, holding the first meeting of the supposed task force on the 27th of May. While her governor was out of town, she passed a mandate banning all future mask mandates in the state, much to the chargon of Governor Little. The Idaho governor then replaced the ban upon his return, which McGeechan's supporters immediately denounced as, quote unquote, tyranny. Because wearing a mask is tyranny. All right, so we've got miscellaneous legal updates, beginning with Grandmaster Jay, the leader of the Not Fucking Around Coalition, NFAC, is headed to a grand jury for charges levied at the end of 2020 related to his two visits to Louisville in the wake of Breonna Taylor's death. Feds submitted two images from surveillance photos that they claim show him pointing his rifle in the direction of officers during his visit to the town. And finally, Kyle Rittenhouse, the Kenosha teen shooter, showed at a morning hearing last week retaining a new lawyer. The defense lawyer, Corey Chirafisi, joined his legal team as a co-counsel, according to his current attorney. Some of Rittenhouse's previous lawyers are now prominent Q influencers. Oh, this is such a healthy mingling of ideas. Uh, and then they have further readings included in the article if you are more interested in going deeper in this. Uh, one coming from Shoutout UK on Boogaloo Propaganda, still on TikTok. And then from the ACLED, which I think is the um, Armed Conflict Location and Events Data Center, has a year of BLM protests and the rights response. ACLED usually has really good studies, so I highly recommend that one. Moving on to... Uh, the whole, uh, the whole enchilada is being so woke against the woke machine that you're just, you're an insomniac. You're just so woke that you can see right through the wokeness of, uh, a bunch of leftists that you're just an insomniac at this point. But the interesting thing that I think this episode is going to begin with is that I'm starting with the Hill. I saw this segment come up and, uh, the Hill does usually have like it's the rising portion so normally you have crystal ball of the left and uh sagar on i I can't remember his last name uh on the on the on the right you know and they juxtapose each other in a very healthy discourse like fashion uh here sagar's taking a break and emily jashinsky uh is going to talk about the political establishment weaponizing identity politics to disenfranchise workers um i think it's an accusation here that we're focusing in too much on like race reductionism that we're you know not really taking into the full scope of intersectionality but i do remember the first time that i saw this clip that something kind of hit me in the wrong way so i want to co- i want to go back to it with you guys and then i have several other clips about uh the the state of wokeness in america um it's going to be a longer episode so just a heads up, you may want to get a popcorn, you know, there's some bathroom breaks, do, do what you got to do, but this one's going to be a minute. So, or at least like 120 minutes. All right. So we'll begin now with the hill and then we shall work our way to the right from the left. Let's begin. All right, Emily, what's on your radar? Well, Crystal, wokeness is a problem and everyone knows it. It's hard to talk to anybody today, and I talk to lots of people in the Democratic Party who doesn't say this, but they don't want to say it out loud. 
That's according to Democratic strategist James Carville, whose recent interview with Vox made some waves in blue check world. Carville is a creature of his party's establishment. The man just wants to win elections and to keep Democrats in power at nearly all costs. In his interview with Vox, he continued to reject what I've called the progressive or bigot binary formulation that the cultural left, which is now crucially alienated from the economic left. In I mean, what I find very interesting about this is that I feel like anybody practicing reductionism isn't really focusing on the full scope of oppression in this country. But like this is like a intelligent argument of the right wing meme that goes around of like that the left and the racists aren't that different because they both acknowledge race removing all context context of how they're observing race it's just the fact that the left also observes race so that they're not that much different from the racists it's it's an online conservative meme and i've seen many videos of it and basically we're getting like a a, a fully thought out observation from the hill that's essentially the meme so um cool i'm i'm liking where this is going so far let's just uh you know let's get away from the race reductionism and we'll be we'll be better off with class reductionism because there's more people who are poor than there are more people who are black or uh brown so yeah enforces from boardrooms to newsrooms here's carville again we have to talk about race. We should talk about racial injustice. What I'm saying is we need to do it without using jargony language that's unrecognizable to most people, including most black people, by the way, because it signals that you're trying to talk around them. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like my problem is like, you know, a lot of leftists, at least online leftists will argue like you don't know shit unless you've read theory. And I've been reading Murray Bookchin uh, recently in The Ecology of Freedom. And as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking like this is some college grade shit right here. Like this is pretty hard to read. And it's very unfortunate because I feel like it's information that would benefit almost everybody. So I'm not really sure how the left, the progressives, those who want to try alternative systems are going to come up with better language in order to get people who um, aren't necessarily aware of exactly what the movement is. Unfortunately, here, what we're getting from, I don't remember his name, the, the, the strategist for the Democratic Party, what we're getting from him here is this like vague language of like, we shouldn't be using jargony language as if like, you know, we use terms to point out systems of oppression, um, you know, whether it comes from critical race theory or just being, you know, a rational observer of the situation. I, I, I'm not even sure like what exactly the jargony language is the problem here, because I think overall the problem that's going on in this country in like very many levels is that we just don't know how to talk to each other. And most people who are engaging in these kind of debates or discourse are really just trying to get a leg up on their opposition or seem smarter or better. And then there's not really like anything materially being developed out of these conversations except for somebody's ego it's like almost everybody is talking about race class gender like all the identity politics all the class uh, all, all the forms of oppression we're all talking about it just to be better than everybody else and to be more correct than everybody else um, I think that's more of a problem than the jargony language because I don't know how that's really alienating the people who truly are more compassionate and would like to see a system you know, be governed through compassion and less of a faux meritocracy that really just dictates where money goes based on where you live, what your skin color is, what your gender is, and, you know, the kind of business skills you can apply to the economic system.
Yeah, so, I mean, that's my two cents after hearing jargony language, because, like, it just, like, even just saying, oh, we can't, we can talk about race, but we have to avoid jargony language. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, what does your language mean at this point? It's true. We can talk about racial injustice, and sometimes we absolutely must. But in his single-minded focus on electing Democrats, Carville is revealing something true. Cultural leftist jargon alienates and aggravates the working class, and for good reason. Rather when they're talking about like cultural leftist jargon, what are they talking about? Because again, I feel like it's not necessarily what words you're using, but ma like the matter of fact that you're talking in. Like, what is the attitude you're bringing to the table? Are you speaking in good faith, hoping to progress an issue either between you and another individual or you and the entire society? What is the jargon? That is the problem other than like, are they agreeing that we shouldn't be teaching CRT in our schools? Like, should we not be focusing on critical race theory at such a young age? And should we keep that gatekeeped or like behind a gate in, in the college level? Is that not accessible to high schoolers who some aren't going to go to college and yet have to enter into the real world? And it may behoove them to be aware of the systems of oppression, whether it deals with race, gender or class or even your religion. So like, mm. What, what is the jargon? What is it? Because I always think it's more of the attitude that people approach conversations less than what the language actually is. Rather than residing comfortably in ivory towers, this new language has been normalized by our mainstream institutions against popular wishes. I think, I think they are talking about critical race theory. I do, and I think they're actually pushing against critical race theory. As a show that is predominantly, like, not predominantly, but a show that's, like, from, like, left of moderate at times since Crystal Ball is there, I really feel it's weird that they're pushing this idea that, like, and they're not saying critical race theory. This is, like, the dog whistle kind of, like, we shouldn't be teaching kids um, about forms of oppression. It's, it's so weird. Um, hmm. Hmm. And the excuse is coming in that it alienates the working class because they're not smart enough to understand the language. Like, who really sounds more condescending here? Rather than being like, how do we approach the working class with intersectionality, the idea of oppression coming in many levels, how do we get them to understand this in a simplified way? No, no, we should just scrap anything that comes down from the ivory towers of academia, and we should just stick with our base level common sense, and then we can transform the country. Like, why aren't we having a better conversation of improving education? It's really no small issue. Data guru Harry Enten of CNN, one of the institutions, by the way, that enforces the new standards of cultural leftism, recently analyzed the 2020 American National Election Studies pre-election survey. While Democrats may mock them, the fear of cancel culture and political correctness isn't something that just animates the GOP's base. It's the rare issue that does so without alienating voters in the middle. Enton wrote last month, he later added, respondents were asked whether they thought people needed to change the way they talked to be with the times or whether this movement had gone too far and people were too easily offended. People being too easily offended won by a 53% to 46% margin over people needing to change the way they talked. Keep in mind, Enton added, the voters... Yeah, but there's like a bit of bias in that. Like, why would an individual admit that they need to change their language when it's much easier to blame everybody else for being so easily offended? That is such a moderate position. Rather than being like, yes, I can get with the times and use better pronouns at, at certain points and be more aware of my language. No, everybody else is the problem.
All right, cool. And the sample claimed they had either voted or would vote for Biden over Donald Trump by a 53 to 42% margin. This just gives you an idea of how much... Yeah, that's the GOP. They're so strapped into traditionalism that when we start having, like, new forms of, like, you know, not even new forms of existence, but, you know, certain forms of existence that were taboo and that are now becoming more mainstream and at least slightly more accessible or acceptable, now they're starting to freak out. Like, who's really the ones that are truly offended here when we ask them to not, like, misgender transgendered people so that they feel more accepted within our society? And they get offended that they have to change their pronouns like what is the level of like uh, uh agreeable or justified offensiveness because now now we're dealing with shifting goalposts that we have to we have to comfort the moderates who are more than okay of having the system go as long as status quo which is just fine for them it's so weird it's that that's a weird mark to have and i'm not saying that we have to go full progressive even though in my world view it would probably be best since we're heading towards not only a civil war with white supremacists in america but also climate change on a global level so there's like a lot of fucking work that we have to do politically that doesn't actually have to deal with any of this culture war bullshit but yet we keep feeding it into this machine because it's seriously the only thing that's deeply dividing us apart so that when the republicans and democrats run that's the dividing line that you're gonna that's you're gonna vote for them for you're gonna vote for i am okay with people choosing their pronouns or you're gonna vote for i will call you whatever pronoun you want i want to call you like that's that's what this dividing line is being created and it does literally nothing for the material conditions of everyone more popular the opposition to cancel culture and political correctness is than the baseline republican presidential performance now political correctness which Enton reasonably equates with cancel culture, is unpopular, and our elite class is dramatically out of touch, but it's much worse than Carvel's concerns about elections. The cultural left has used identity politics to hijack working class issues and to disempower the working class while enhancing their own power. The bipartisan- All right, now I am, I am really gonna need some evidence to back up these claims. The fact that like they're blaming the new left or the Democrats of co-opting race issues to block out workers. Like, and the thing is, is I don't think the Democratic Party has really been very much pro-worker, at least since like FDR. Um, and even FDR was only being pro-worker because it was necessary for the times. <sighs> ah, God. I All right. So I really hope there's some, some claims to follow up that, or I mean, some evidence to back up those claims because... I would love to see it. Partisan neoliberal embrace of cultural leftism renders cultural populism increasingly important. In March, referring to the Blue Check Brigade's invocation of identity politics to shield the precious 36-year-old New York <laughs> Times reporter Taylor Lorenz from reasonable criticism, Glenn Greenwald wrote this on his substack. This transparent tactic is part and parcel of the increasingly ideological exploitation of identity politics to shield the neoliberal order and its guardians from popular critique. He's correct, and he's tapping into average Americans' contempt for identity politics. If you step out of line, even gently questioning something objectionable coming out of your HR department, or your child's school, or a friend's Facebook feed, your livelihood and your reputation are suddenly 
at risk. Yes, some Republicans exploit this as red meat, but that's actually not hyperbole. It's absolutely- Is this really like an example of like our culture gone awry? Or is this more of an example of now that everybody has the internet, we're more innerly connected and we can like reach across the country and say that person probably shouldn't have that job. I think it's more of the internet because these things have always happened, whether it's like sexual harassment or your ideology or your skin color being, you know, determining your employment status. Like all of those things have taken effect for a long time. People will get you fired if you don't agree with the right people at the highest levels, like, say, Washington Post. So um, it's just mm, it's weird because I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, we're going too far with with uh you know being pc or social justice warriors i think it's just the internet the internet has allowed us to have increased power as the little guy and so for a lot of people too they they exploit the shit out of it where they will use merely the internet as a channel of of, of rage to it <clears throat> excuse me to attack like any famous person who goes out of the way or who steps out of line or any politician like you now it's being used by the little guy to start punching upwards and now that that's been taking a big effect it also does affect a lot of people who live on the lower levels like you know they quoted the it's weird that glenn greenwald gave that uh post to, or gave that uh article to the new york times when the new york times last year published an article of a, a of a kid putting out a video of another girl who like said the n-word after she got her license and he put it out four years after she had done it and that got her kicked out of the college that she was going to and none of that was okay absolutely none of it like for one we can talk about the n-word and when and when like there's a long debate to be had about that me and my roommate have it all the time I don't think that she should have faced repercussions for saying the N-word because she was so excited for getting her driving license, especially four years after the fact, which got her removed from a future that she was chasing after a possible amount, enough enough time for her to, uh, you know, uh, see the error of her ways if that was really that big of a deal, which I don't think it was. So it's, it's very interesting what's going on here. Um because the PC culture, in a, in, in, in a sense, does go a little bit too far when targeting, I would say, average day-to-day -day people. But it's, like I said, I think it's more of our attitude coming towards it because we're not really looking for a purifying uh, of the system towards more compassion and empathy. We're really just trying to get people to submit to thinking that I am right and you are wrong. Not not a good course of action, but here with the Hill saying that it's uh, it's the identity politics in itself that is more of the problem. We should talk about race, but it leads to issues is what they're saying. I, I don't think this is the right angle either. Like, I don't know how we're actually going to really analyze and overthrow the systems of oppression that we have if we can't have the conversations whatsoever. We need to have those conversations, but everybody who's participating in them has to be coming from a good a place of good faith in order to actually progress the movement and the discussion. True, most Americans have not been canceled at all, let alone over something unfair. That's important perspective when it comes to the scale of the problem. But someone in their community has. That's enough to make them uneasy in some cases and angry in others. And they should be because it creates an ambient threat. For elites, these concepts and jargon like Latinx 
are their intellectual playthings used to signal in-group status, disempower critics while increasing their own power. They deploy identity politics to disempower the working class, the rubes without Oberlin degrees who- Again, none of this has been like backed up with any evidence. She keeps making claims. Please like draw a, con like connect the dots into how using the word Latinx affects the working class. Connect that dot for me because I am not seeing it. And I don't like the the thing is though is you're not gonna come across a lot of people who you go, oh, what's up, Latino or Latina? And they're gonna be like, please, I'm Latinx. There's not that many people who are going to go out of their way to do that. So what we're really even focusing on here is getting mad at a minority that is on the left the kind who do want to comb through your language with a fine-tooth comb so they can say you fucked up here and that makes me better than you that does exist but it's a small amount and it's not a good reason to throw out identity politics listen to joe rogan and can the left thinks be intimidated into silence or submission so they can ignore their interests and bulldoze america with their own Guess who can't run to Substack or Patreon to get their job or their family's reputation back when their offices or neighborhood's resident thought cop complains? This scheme allows powerful people to protect and grow their control, shielding themselves from criticism and dissent at the cost of people who need that next paycheck, but also happen to need their dignity and their integrity and their good name. Those things should never be in conflict. Like, who who is having this argument, too? Because, like, when I look at Joe Biden's infrastructure bill, I will say it once, I'll say it again, is that it doesn't go far enough. Boom. Criticism. We could spend much more money on our infrastructure, which would create jobs, especially over 10 years, when we need to implement a Green New Deal to have sustainable energy. That's criticism of joe biden what i do like about joe biden though is that he doesn't go out of his way to make immigrants sound like criminals he doesn't go out of his way to make black people sound like rioters so like in his in his very minute type of way of 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 uh identity politics where he hasn't even sat down with a black lives matter leader to discuss any of the issues that went on they even like went as far to create a policing bill for, on the federal level the 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 justice uh in policing for or the justice for george floyd justice and policing act or something like that like the, it, it they they considered like they talked to no uh, uh, no leaders of any organizations that participated in the protests or in any communal organizing whatsoever. They just wrote the bill. Um, so there's there's criticism to be had, even though they're still not as bad as Republicans on identity politics. So who's really gaining more clout from this? I don't understand what the through line here is, is that people who use identity politics in the way of like acknowledging the systems of oppression are then co-opting and stealing the power from the working class. Please draw a through line on that. Finish it for me. Crystal, this is probably where I differ most from you and Sagar. I, I think cultural populism is an interesting concept in the context of the economic left suddenly being very different from the cultural left, from mm -hmm. the neoliberal co-optation of identity politics, which by the way, I'll be the first to tell you, I think there actually are a lot of, there, there is merit to things like intersectionality. I think it gets completely- And honestly, like, 
on top of it too, like they're using vague language. Like they're getting mad at you know leftists for using jargoning language, but at least the jargon is meant to give you a word with a definition that makes sense. Why are we talking about there's this weird divide between the economic left and the cultural left when people are usually on the same page of what the left is trying to get done, which is usually an egalitarian, equitable system? What are we talking about? Lee, um, is this is this because the poll itself said that moderates are safer with like non politically correct language that they are then using this to say, hey, moderates, we're not going to go that far left for you so you can keep watching us. Is that what this is? used wrongfully and overused on the left. But I do think some of these concepts really genuinely have merit. And then you see the neoliberal sort of center co-opting them. Yeah. And they use them, as Greenwald points out, to shield themselves from criticism. And when you're that parent, you, ha you probably haven't been canceled, right? If you're just a parent in Kansas who heard something is going on at school and you want to stand up and say, I don't want my kid learning about this, but you also need your next paycheck, you're going to shut up. I mean, so here's a couple things. Oh, there's a lot there. And very interesting radar, by the way. Um, so first of all, my issue from, because I am both an economic leftist and also in most ways a cultural leftist as well. Why the fuck are these like two different things? Like the, like the economy and the structure of our political system and how we inter interact with each other socially, they're all interconnected. Why would you be an economic leftist and then like a slightly center leftist cultural? Like, what the fuck does any of that mean? Like, please, somebody explain this to me. It's like, honestly, it's, it's like when... Um, Tim Poole calls himself a classic liberal and then follows up with, I'm a social conservative. Like, wh what? What? You're a conservative. Like, that's it. Like, a classic liberal, that sounds like you're saying traditional. That's conservative. And then why am I even why am I even explaining this at this point? This is the same type of language that Tim Poole exactly uses to kind of mask his his, uh, you know, full ideology so that you can't really pick it apart. But like they're they're engaging in the same thing here, too afraid to alienate their far left and their 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 moderates. Like that's amazing. My issue with the way that this jargon is weaponized is number one, oftentimes it's used by tremendously regressive um, institutions and individuals in order to sort of like Trojan horse in mm -hmm. a really regressive agenda. And the perfect example, I mean, Jamie Dimon <laughs> kneeling in front of a bank vault to signal his support for Black Lives Matter is the perfect example of that. <laughs> Amazon. Yeah, when the Democrats like all put on those like uh, African like scarves, I don't remember what they're called, and then they all knelt for like nine minutes. Um, not only was that tone deaf, but it was like cringe. It was super cringe and unnecessary for the Democrat leaders to do that. Um, my first criticism is is that they like why are, he was an American. Why are you wearing African clothing? What the fuck? Um, two. Why are you kneeling? Like, I get that Colin, uh, Colin Kaepernick knelt for bef before George Floyd was killed, but George Floyd was killed by someone kneeling on him. So why are you kneeling? Like, it, it's tone deaf. Like, they shouldn't have done any of that, and yet they went out of their way to do it because they wanted to look like they were the party that would support Black Lives Matter in the time of an election. So I will admit, yes, the neoliberalists will 
co-opt pretty much anything that is on the side of popularity. But the thing is, though, is that doesn't mean that that we have that, that anybody is not giving them criticism for it. Why are we pretending that nobody, like everybody's okay with the shit that they do? We're not. On putting Black Lives Matter onto the front of their website while they're hiring goons to union bust, firing workers. Yeah, and a great meme has gone around that like during the month of Pride, Bethesda, they, they Googled it or not Googled their name. They went on Twitter and typed in Bethesda and the Bethesda UK, the Bethesda United States, and then one other one had Pride flags. But then you had Bethesda Russia and then um, three other ones. I can't remember where they were. They didn't have the Pride flag because like in, in Russia, like gay marriage is still banned. Um, I, I, I doubt that it's, you know, you're, I doubt that your sexuality is allowed to step out of the hetero and I doubt that you're allowed to really be transgender. So it's like, yeah, corporates, uh, corporatism or the corporations, they don't really give two shits about our social issues. Um, it's always about the bottom line and they will do whatever they'll do the same exact thing that the neoliberals will do, which is co-opt a popular movement to look like they're supportive, uh, so that your money will stay within their environment. Workers illegal in illegally in retaliation, failing. But again, I'm still missing on how this robs the working class of, an, of, of, of a progressive movement. I'm really missing it because, yes, we are focused on race issues. At least a good amount of Americans are, especially with police brutality, still not being curved whatsoever. Um, but there is just the same amount of concern for the working class, uh, at least on the left. And I don't see anybody who says that we need to fix race issues before we even start thinking about working class. Like, at least Vosh is going on his stream constantly and saying market socialism is at least a good first step that we can take. But I, there's no through line here. There's absolutely none that is showing us proof on how the neoliberal party or members or the the machine is co-opting identity politics and taking the power away from working class individuals what due to their representation because they're not representing them because they're only thinking about identity politics as if neoliberals like the neoliberalist ideology will ever take into workers in into consideration like this is this is wild i like this is the kind of like this is the hill i never cover uh, left, like left-leaning news sites, but this one is just like out of the ballpark dumb. And this is according to a lawsuit filed against them by the Attorney General of New York, failing to even meet the basic legal standards of keeping their employees safe during coronavirus. By the way, their blue-collar workforce disproportionately black and brown. That's a part of this. So that's one part of this that I have an issue with. The other part. And Carvel kind of gets at this in his interview, parts of which I agreed with, parts of which I disagree with. In general, I have all kinds of issues with James Carvel. But <laughs> what he talks about is, is, look, I actually don't have a problem with the language itself. Intersectionality, using this sort of like new jargony language in and of itself, I don't actually have an issue with. Where my issue comes in is when you expect everyone else to automatically know how to talk mm -hmm. about these issues. And if they don't, and they use a term or phrase something in a way that's inartful or vaguely offensive, immediately it's a pile on. It's not about- See, there we go. Crystal Ball actually, like what I've been like ranting about for the past like t t t 20 minutes or so, that's exactly it. It's not the language. It's not, it's not the people. It's the type, in, it's the type of discussion you're having. 
It's the context. It's the attitude. It literally has less to do with what we're talking about and how we're talking about it. But yet the goalpost for this conversation didn't get shifted to that point until 7 minutes and 50 seconds when Crystal clears it up for us. There's no desire to like, hey, let's bring this person along. Let's just like talk to them about why we found this offensive or why this might be a better way to phrase it. And here's how we're thinking about it. No, it's it's instant like judgment. You're evil. You're bad out of the public square. And so that's good for building clout. That's good for signaling your own precious virtue. Mm -hmm. But in terms of actually building a movement to do anything, it's a disaster because all your- See, and the, here's the thing is that like everything Crystal just said, I completely agree with, but that was not part of the discussion a minute in 19 seconds ago. Like none of that. It was the problem that we were having the discussion at all. It was the jargony language. It was the things that were coming out of academia and joining the mainstream. It was the type of language and not how it was. But then now Crystal Ball shifts the goalposts right to where I think the conversation should be, but that's not what it was. And so now we're pretending that's what it was. And yet again, I'm feeling like this is to make a safe space for moderates because if they're comfortable, then it's a, the, the system's fine. You're constantly doing, and again, this is part of what Carvel got to, all you're constantly doing is telling people that you have contempt for them, telling them that, that you're not a part of this movement. You don't belong in this movement. I think that's tremendously destructive, and I think it goes wildly against a classic left-wing essential principle of solidarity. Like now to be a good leftist, you're supposed to be sicking like a corporate HR department on some <laughs> lowly employee who said the wrong thing. Get out of here. That's ridiculous. We're celebrating Raytheon, by the way. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there, there's something really important that you just mentioned. Wait, who on the left is celebrating Raytheon? What was that? Like this is like they're dipping their toes here into like anti-leftism a little bit. Like Tucker Carlson would be proud. Which is that the big problem here is that there's this binary, right? That if you step out of line gently, or if you have one heterodox opinion, or if you do something that is slightly against the dogma. This isn't, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not just that we can have this conversation and like, listen, you know, that's- See, of that. and now she's co-opting the, the what what Crystal Ball just said, because the, 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 the type of discussion they're having, it sounds more like the right-wing meme of the leftists sound like the racists. But like, that is the problem. It's not a left or a right problem. It's a dogma problem. It's an absolutist problem. It's a problem of you having to be absolutely right and that your side also have to be the most moral, the most justified. And I do think that on my side, that with the, 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 the ideology and philosophy that I pursue, I think those are the most justified. But usually when I'm talking to somebody else, I have to prove it. So like, and that doesn't mean by bashing it into their head or making them believe what I believe, it's only justifying it. That's it. And if they don't see it as justified, then I'm also able to either one, move on with my day and live my life or two, reconsider my position and move on with my day and live on. This, this by the hill here honestly is not doing anything like healthy for the discourse. I think the, the last minute has been so far but for the most part it is very demonizing a far left um a minority in the far left part uh, part of the spectrum so it's weird this is so weird outdated 
it's bad for a lot of people, and it's a binary. You are either fully a progressive or you're bigoted. I think Ibram X. Kendi is someone who, by the way, CBS, which is owned by Viacom, CBS Viacom, and you know, says that necessarily to be anti-racist, you need to be anti-capitalist. He went on CBS. So, are, 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 is it a problem of the far left, or is it problems of like people in the Democrat media establishment? Who's the problem now? Who is it? Because, again, goalpost shifted. Viacom to talk about the Chauvin verdict last week it says in order to be anti-racist you have to be anti-capitalist yeah, Jack Dorsey gives him anyway, go ahead no I think <laughs> again, it's not an unfair argument but then you're taking it into like CBS and Viacom are embracing it Jack Dorsey is giving him millions so of here's, dollars here's my issue is like okay. oh my god like so we shouldn't agree with uh the statement that if you want to be anti-racist, you have to be anti-capitalist, which is, guess what? Intersectionality. Look at that. The working class is being included in that one. Um, because he said it on CBS, we should be dubious of that. Because he was put on a platform that has showed to millions of Americans, we should question that. Um, it's, it's, it's not worthy now that it was on a mainstream platform. Like he should have said it into, into the sewages of Twitter. And then after days of it being there, it goes viral and then we can accept it. That's, is that the line that we're drawing now? This is weird. This is so weird. And it's coming from the Hill. Like this is a, honestly like so close to the type of shit I would expect from Fox news. If it weren't for actual crystal ball, like coming in here and being like, well, actually, Okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna cancel people, how come the people getting canceled are never like George W. Bush and his neocon friends who are now resistance heroes who lied us into war? Okay, Crystal, <laughs> who on the left has not canceled George Bush yet? And are we talking about the so-called Democrat left, or are we talking about far left? Because George H. W. Bush Jr. war criminal, Dick Cheney, his vice president, war criminal. That's canceled in my book anytime he pops up i'm not going to support it i'm i'm what are we talking about who is at fault now like this is such an incoherent conversation that's almost on the mark but then just keeps missing it because like let's talk about co-optation of right let's like of course the system's going to eventually like eventually we're going to reach a point too where the system will reintroduce donald trump as a person that we should all like in the same way that they're doing with george hw bush it's inevitable it might not work on a lot of Democrats, but it is inevitable. And yet somehow George H.W. Bush is being sold back to the Democrats very successfully through a lot of like media heads that are throughout the, the, the mainstream. So it's like it's not a leftist problem that hasn't canceled George H.W. Bush. It's it's the mainstream because he was a, a, a proponent of the machine. He did his job and now he gets to live his life in slight luxury. Let's talk about like okay, we want to have a conversation. Like how come how come like we can't like how come we can't cancel Obama? Like Obama had plenty of uh, despicable things happen under his uh, tenure. Why why can't we cancel him? It's not up to us. And who we do cancel, like even that, so is like more of a like thing that comes out of the bottom line. It's I hate this conversation. I shouldn't have chose this as the segment. This is bad about canceling oh, people God. let's start with them at the top like war criminals how about we start with them at the top of the list or you know you never get in trouble for taking a bunch of money from raytheon and doing their bidding right. or being a total who do they keep talking about with the raytheon thing who are they talking about with that
corporate sellout or, you know, fighting to get the salt tax cap removed so that your wealthy constituents can like being wrong on those issues is never you never pay the price for that. And so you end up with this really unbalanced system where only certain things are punished. And so people feel free to have all of their terrible corporate capitalist ideology, in my view, and they use the but if they use the right language mm -hmm. and are, you know, know what the right jargon is, then their Trojan horse stand is like some sort of progressive when it's just not the case. But I think what's crucial about that is it increases their power and it is chilling generally on speech in this country. And again, I think the scale is important. I don't think, you know, millions and millions and millions of Americans are being canceled every day. Like, yeah. sponsor a can sponsor canceled American, like it's an ASPCA commercial. I don't <laughs> think it's that. But I do think it's had a chilling effect. And I do think the people most affected by it are the ones that rely on their paychecks and can't run to Patreon and Substack. Yeah. And while that chilling effect is happening. Oh, that's the, that's the claim. Or that's the evidence to, well, that's not evidence, but that's the statement to back up the claim that working class people are being canceled due to identity politics. That's the through line, and I just got it at 11 minutes and 18 seconds into the video? You serious? And yet, like, again, she even she can't even give us an anecdotal case. She just says it, and there's no evidence to back up that claim whatsoever either. So, like, both, there's two premises and no conclusion. The elites are just actually building their own power by signaling their in-group status, building, your, building their clout, as you say, and continuing to push out anybody who criticizes them, like Glenn and Taylor Lorenz, which is always a great example. But Oh, my God. I don't even want to start with Glenn get Greenwald getting canceled. I'm not even going to go there. We're going to move on to the next segment. Jesus. Wow. Wow. That That was... Wow. Okay, that was like somewhere in between demonize or yeah, demonizing far leftists and uh, neoliberal corporate CEOs, which uh, last time I remember they were juxtaposed to each other. So that's God damn it. That was a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. That was a lot worse. But um, now we start to move our way to the right. Um, let's see. We're gonna be we're gonna begin with Ben Shapiro's video here. Um, and this one's called Ben Shapiro destroys Seth Rogen's cancel culture comments. So one of the great cowards in American public life is Seth Rogen. <laughs> so Seth Rogen, of course, is the director of a wide variety of, I would say, mediocre to somewhat good films. He's done a couple of things that are kind of interesting. Um, he's also a wildly overrated actor, a jerk on, on social media, by the way. But I've always highlighted this whenever we like, like they did the same thing with John Oliver. He does this with everybody rather than like... Whenever a conservative pundit reacts or comments on somebody else's comments, um, they attack that person's character before getting to the argument. Because it's more important that you hate that person before you hear their argument so that it's much easier to pick apart their argument without actually having to pick apart the argument. Where he's really a jerk is when it comes to his friends. So James Franco was a longtime friend of Seth Rogen, and Rogen defended him over and over. He made jokes, open jokes, about Seth Rogen, uh, about um, James Franco's proclivity for 17-year-old girls. And, that he um, did, yeah. And recently he came out and said, I'm not going to make any movies with James anymore. Just not going to do it anymore. Oh, yes, I'm sure it came as a great shock to you to learn that James Franco was, was actually James Franco. So Seth Rogen, because he's a coward, he threw James Franco directly under the bus. Now he's saying, you know what? I love cancel culture. Cancel culture is just the best. And comedians who worry about cancel culture, you know, comedians who get upset that they're getting canceled over old jokes, they should just shut up 
because times change, man. And we just have to. So here you see Ben Shapiro literally constructing a straw man in front of us because rather than saying uh, Seth Rogen's argument and then going from there, he actually reframes it before we've heard literally any of Seth Rogen's own words. This is what you literally call a straw man fallacy. Whereas you misrepresent or mischaracterize uh, someone's argument. We haven't even heard Seth Rogen's yet. To recognize that some of our, our old jokes were bad. Seth Rogen has realized that, that the gold in Hollywood is if you lead the mob, then the mob won't eat you. So if they ever criticize you about an old joke, you go, you know, you're right. I, I was homophobic. That was, that was a truly homophobic joke. He's been doing this for, for years, by the way. All the way back in 2016, he started ripping on his own movie, Superbad. He said that some of the riffs in the, in the movie, quote, border on blatantly homophobic. He said, it's funny looking at some movies we've made in the last 10 years under the lenses of new eras, new social consciousness. There's for sure some stuff in our earlier, mov earlier movies and even our more, in, in our most recent movie. Yeah, I mean, if you go back through like 90s, like early to late 90s and then the early 2000s movies, like fag is used a lot like the f-bomb is dropped in those movies a lot are we going to consider those aging well in the same way that we did with like say the racist cartoons of walt disney and looney tunes before uh they you know kind of caught up with the times or you know they're products of their time so um we can acknowledge the bigotry going on there especially since that movie came out before gay marriage was legalized so that word was used specifically as a uh discriminatory slur at the time, so um, hmm, hmm. I love Superbad. I think it's a, I, I think it's a funny movie. But you know, uh, th that doesn't mean that I can't cringe whenever they use the f word. What I find funny too is that I was listening to a Chance the Rapper song recently, and I've heard this song so many times, and it's one I, li I like the song. It's a fun little poppy uh, rap song. It's called Favorite Song, and in the first like. Uh, in the first like f 30 seconds of that song, Chance says, uh, slap happy faggot slapper or something like that. Um, and like I sat there and I was like, why? Like, why, Chance? Like, you, um, like, I honestly just think it was really lazy of a line because it even sounds like he's going out of his way to smack a gay person. But at the same time, too, it is used generally as a slur in just general of calling anybody that. So, um, I don't know, like I gave him like a slight pass back in the day because I wasn't thinking about it. And then when I did think about it, I was like, man, he actually probably could have been a better rapper and just gone with one different bar. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know. I'm not going to cancel chance over like a, a line in one song. Um, but I am going to acknowledge that at least intellectually, that was lazy. Just like when uh, Eminem uh called tyler the creator uh, a faggot like it, you know it, he was mad tyler the creator did come out of the closet recently and tyler uses the word a lot but at the same time too like did you did you need to did you really need to and do you think that's like what feeds uh hip-hop beef anymore um so again i just think like when you take that route it might be just more intellectually lazy than it is of uh you know anything that serves the purpose of the art form um so I, I, I like that Seth Rogen can look back and be like, well, you know, that's tasteless language. That's that's all he's doing. It's like, well, that's tasteless. Or even a year later, you're like, eh, maybe that wasn't the greatest idea. Well, now he's carrying that forward on Good Morning Britney. He says, I don't even know why people are against cancel culture. I don't even understand why cancellation's bad because after all, you know, times change.
saying terrible things is bad. So if you said something terrible, then that's something you should confront in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't think that's cancel culture. That's you saying something terrible if, if, if that's what you've done. Now, here's the beauty of being Seth Rogen. You get to say what is the terrible thing, right? That's the beauty of it. If somebody says you said something terrible, you go, yeah, sure, I did say something terrible. But here's the thing. I know that I said something terrible. Everybody else out there, they're the ones who are really saying terrible things. Those are the ones who are really saying terrible things. Now, Seth- That's not what he said at all. That's not what he said. He did acknowledge that it's up to you to acknowledge that you said something terrible because honestly, that's the first step in making a, a true and honest apology if you do feel sorry for it. Um, but he didn't then blame everybody for being so uh, offensive all the time. Again, like mischaracterization straw man. Seth Rogen thinks this is going to protect him. It is not going to protect him. There will come a point at which you finally stumble on a core value that Seth Rogen holds. See, to, to believe in the constantly shifting line here, you have to have no core values. You have to essentially be an ideological nihilist. You have to think that the values of society, constantly moving, ever shifting, there are no, there's no core to it. <laughs> they are. Like, if you literally look at history, the values of a society change. What do you mean, Ben? It's an idea. It's something, it's a game that we all play. What do you mean? Yes, culture changes over time, you, you traditional little man. So if you said something that apparently everything in the past is up for debate, everything he has ever said, he can just disown as indefensible a year later. He'll just move right along, which means that he's a coward and gutless. Because if you have any core principles at all, at a certain point you say, you know what? Yeah, it was a funny joke. And if you find it offensive right now, got to say, tough. So anyone with an yeah, but that's just inconsiderate and selfish. I don't find that brave. Um, taking other people's feelings into consideration, that's not cowardly. And then, you know, trying a little bit harder to make people laugh without having to punch downwards, that's not cowardly either. That's a weird position to take. An iota of, of actual credibility would say. But when you just skate along on the surface of life, disowning all of your prior statements as statements of the moment without demonstrating why exactly you think they were bad, or what has changed in your mind about it? This makes you just a tool of, of people who are, who are seeking to destroy other people's careers. So if you're friends with Seth Rogen, don't look for that guy to stand in front of a train for you. He ain't going to do it. <laughs> if you're anybody in the comedic community... Why would he need to stand in front of a train for James Franco as more information keeps coming out of his poor behavior, of his sexual harassment and sexual assault. Why does he need to stand in front of the in front of the train for James Franco? Why would he need to do that? Is it is it because you stood in front of the train for Brett Kavanaugh and we're all so proud of you for it, Ben? Who's friends with Seth Rogen? Just understand that when they come for you, Seth Rogen is going to immediately turn around and engage in some friendly fire. Because that's his top priority. His top priority is moving along with the crowd. And so the one thing is, is that like, you know, when Seth Rogen made that joke about James Franco being into 17 year olds at James Franco's roast on Comedy Central, it had already broke into the news and James Franco was dealing with that at the time. Um, and so, you know, if he was if James Franco was really trying to make a turnaround at that point, making fun of him for it. It's kind of like a, I would see in my own personal experience as a friendly thing to do, especially if I'm still being his friend, knowing that he's possibly, you know, 
choosing to change his poor behavior. But one thing that I got in an argument with my roommate about is like whether or not like of how much Seth Rogen Rogen really knew about James Franco's behavior. And now maybe a lot of people would argue it's not fair for me to give uh, Rogan the benefit of the doubt. But with Rogan, you know, instantly cutting off a friendship that was a lifelong or not lifelong, but a long time and um, let's say pretty, uh, you know, prosperous monetarily wise uh, kind of relationship. I do think it's very interesting that Seth Rogan cut ties with him. And I kind of wonder of like how much this might have ruined their actual personal relationship. But it's like really hard for me to get mad at Seth Rogen because I don't know how much Seth Rogen knows. And maybe Seth Rogen knew everything. And if that is true, then he should take some time to reflect on what he could have done better. And also maybe coming out with that truth and spending his own time in the cancel culture corner. Um, but if he didn't know much at all, then we're really berating a guy for no fucking reason at all. Other than being associated to a guy who made his own poor decisions. <sighs> Yep. So, like, again, just another conversation, just really missing the mark here, I feel like. Fomenting the crowd and fomenting the mob. Now, what's funny about this is that eventually cancel culture does hit everybody. Eventually, everybody gets canceled. So there's this woman named Emily Wilder. She was hired at the AP. And Emily Wilder had a long history of sort of bizarre statements online. Uh, she had called me a little turd or something. I don't care. That's the mildest of the criti criticism I receive online. But mostly she had she'd been associated with a, a wild left anti-Israel group called Students for Justice in Palestine, which is in fact a radical anti-Israel and in many cases de facto pro-terrorist group. And that came out and the- Wow. I don't know very much about that group, but those are very heavy allegations to lay on them. Um, radical is a word that like conservatives throw around all the time. Like Democrats are considered radical. So that's, that's not the word that I'm saying here, but an organization being marked as like a, as like a proto terrorist group or just like, you know, guilty by association. That, that's some heavy language there. And, um, wow, Ben, <laughs> wow. It's cause they called you a turd, isn't it? AP decided that they didn't want to hire her anymore. And I said on this show just a few days ago, I didn't think that they should not hire her. I think that's what the AP is and they should own it. She came out with a video immediately saying, well, you know, it's because of people like Ben Shapiro that this happened. Well, no, it really wasn't. I just pointed out that Emily Wilder has also spoken openly about how when people on the right get canceled, that's not cancel culture, that's accountability culture. But when she gets canceled, that's not accountability, that's cancel culture. But here's the thing. When the cancel culture comes for Seth Rogen, then is he going to call it accountability culture? I, I really doubt it. The way this works is that folks who are on the, the hardcore cancel culture left, they're not interested in the Overton window being open. They're interested in it being closed so long as they get to control the Overton window. The, the ironic part of this is that eventually it comes for everybody. Eventually the alligator eats you because the mob always needs fresh bodies. The mob always needs people that it can, that it can bury. And you can try to appease them. You can try to run away from them. Or at some point, you might have to have some core values. So I wonder how long it'll be before they reach a core value of Seth Rogan's in which he tries to defend himself and he's finished too. And when that happens, guess what? Ain't gonna have a lot of defenders out here. Because if you are the person swinging the frying pan at all of your heretofore friends, and then it comes back and hits you in the face, we just call that poetic justice. Who's got two thumbs and wants you to like it? Ugh. 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 There's, there's really nothing to even address there because it was so...
it was so vacant. But um, we're gonna move on to the next segment. Um, so we're going to move into like a little bit lesser known sphere. Um, she does have a decent amount of videos or views here. Um, ben Shapiro's last video right here, eight hundred thirty six thousand, not bad. Um, but we have uh, one hundred forty six thousand on these views, and it's coming from someone named uh, Kimi Kaiti. Kaiti. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name uh, or her name. I don't think they're listening to this, but yep. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, we're going to move into like the lesser known of, you know, the, you know, uh, discourse. This channel is not as known as, say, Ben Shapiro. Um, and I think this is like kind of what uh, Reagan would call trickle, trickle down ideas, trickle down ideology. And so like someone who doesn't have the budget, but still close to the same ideology as Ben Shapiro, I'm very interested in seeing what's going to come out of this video segment. And it's called, this is how I es escaped the cult of wokeness. And then we will close out with uh, Steven Crowder at the end to kind of wrap it up. But um, we'll begin now with Kimi's video. All right, welcome back to my channel. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. But let's get right into it. This is actually how I escaped <sighs> wokeness. I, I became a woke zombie for a while and it was very much so due to college, just like every other story you hear. I'm very grateful to be out of that cult. And this is kind of my journey. Um, into how I got into that and how I kind of got out and how you can also test to see if you're in the cult of wokeness because the reason I say cult is to denote that it is bad for you. Like it is bad for your health, your relationships, for your future, your country, for your neighborhood, for your cat, your dog, the spider in the corner, for everyone. I don't know how to say this. So I want to describe what it feels like if someone doesn't really understand it. I know there are people who they've just been like anti-woke from the beginning. I don't know how someone can actually be anti-woke from like the beginning because that's kind of... I hate to use the word, that's kind of problematic. Like you were not woke at any point in time. So hopefully everyone watching this at a point kind of had a drip of like wokeness because I think people go into it with good intentions. And there is, that's the whole trick about it is, is the, the well-meaning folks who get sucked into this thing that has so much attached to it in a very Trojan horse-like fashion. So it's, I, I hope that there are some people who were like, you know, I mean, well, I do want to end racism or I didn't like what I saw uh, with the George Floyd thing. So I do want to do a little bit of work to make sure that I'm uh, fighting against any systemic oppression that exists and that sort of thing. This video and these videos aren't to appease those types of people. Like, I don't think that's good. With that said, there's a different thing going on right now. Our current mode of like social justice there's something amiss about it. And I'm here to say like, I fell for that wave for a little bit, but it doesn't yield the sort of liberation that you would think it would yield. Now, a little bit of background about myself. I spent my high school years in South Africa and during the time in South Africa, I learned a lot about Nelson Mandela. I was in school in South Africa through the late 2000s. 
and it was still healing so there was a lot of discussion about race they had a truth and reconciliation commission but not only that they just adopted a framework that aids forgiveness and people think i make this stuff up literally desmond tutu has written two books as far as i know two books on forgiveness desmond tutu was out there protesting like getting arrested getting tear gassed his daughter and his wife were strip searched uh, in a very um disrespectful manner by the apartheid a uh, police force archbishop desmond tutu wasn't allowed to vote even though he was a a notable respected archbishop just the fact that he experienced the the worst form of racism and fought against it and his ultimate thesis coming out of that was we need to forgive and that actually kept the nation from becoming a terror war zone bloodbath uh dystopia is something to take note of and that's what we learned a lot about during high school so that was embedded in me from the beginning like from the time i kind of started learning about nelson mandela from to the time that i was in college i began to you know things were fine blm really wasn't a thing at the time life was good to me america was one of the friendliest countries i've ever been to but then college was like you know it taught critical theory it taught critical race theory when it came to like sociology and stuff like that it was it, it was it was dark the trouble is when you learn from that lens and that's really kind of what some classes took it wasn't like oh this is this is a theory or this is um a, a school of thought it was this is how you have to look at life like these are the tools and that's that's it like this is actually what reality is i had that framework kind of so here's where i actually start to have the my contention um i'm not really sure what you mean by tools and then this is the way you have to because uh tools are used in any you know manner of way that you use a tool it doesn't really have um you know a, a, a set through line all the way to like what is how it's but or not how it's supposed on what it's supposed to be used for um so I, I like now we're starting to get a little bit we're starting to dip our toes into the ideas of dogmas um like i said that is an issue on any side of the spectrum um, but I find what I'm finding interesting here is just discussing that, you know, I was given this tool, but I was being told that this is how you're supposed to look at the world. Um, and, and I just find it interesting because I haven't taken uh, critical race theory courses at all. Um, so I don't feel like I've ever really been told that this is how I have to look at the world. It's just that usually when you do analyze a lot of outcomes coming from political policies, um, that's when you start to see discrepancies based on race, religion, gender, and income. So there's 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 a several uh, tools to analyze those things and then kind of come to the conclusion of whether or not that policy is justified or should be dismantled and replaced. Begin to get embedded in me, but pay attention to the feeling. I didn't feel good about it. Like I remember the one day it was raining outside, it was almost Halloween. I think it was like 2014. And we were learning about symbolism. We're learning about uh, Antonio Gramsci, Gramsci. I don't know how to pronounce his last name and the hegemony. And I just felt dark. Like I literally feel like, felt like my heart was opening and like darkness was coming inside. From that moment, it was dark. As I adopted that lens through college, like 
my outlook of the world was dark and hopeless little did i know my outlook of the world would then come back to affect my my look and the way i saw myself who i was the value that i brought how people saw me all just deteriorated because it was like i had to take all these factors into consideration i came out of i came out of college with that worldview what factors though i came out of college thinking like as a black woman opportunities for me are so much less likely to happen or be given because of my blackness that i was very much so uh, hyper aware of microaggressions i was very aware of, of just like the way the world is the way you're taught that the world is so it's like everything's working against you literally like you walk out of the door and like everyone is conspiring against you so whereas from the beginning i would just kind of walk down the street and say hi to people if they didn't say hi back i don't know i do see like i kind of see where she's coming from and i feel like that does come along with like learning the history sociology and everything that goes into this country i really do because a lot of things that deal with this country uh, has to deal with either um liberty which is you know usually in positive light but then you read the context of who has the most liberty and who does who does not then you start getting into the dichotomy of oppressor and the oppressed and then there's the also uh relationship between the exploited and the exploiters so yes it can feel incredibly dark and it can also feel like the system is a little bit rigged against you especially if you're starting to find your intersectionality in certain minority groups where you're not necessarily represented to the highest degree so i can see how those feelings come about it the thing is though is that it's not supposed to bog you down it's not supposed to make you feel like there's nothing that can change it's supposed to uh outline the flaws of the country and the system so that there can be change that would be made because you can't be a you can't be an optimist without a little bit of realism you can't be a pessimist without that either like you have to see reality for what it is as much as of an objective view as you can get through your subjective eyes and mind and then move from there in whether you're going to be optimistic on how much the system can truly change, pessimistic of how hopeless it is for it to change, or what conservatives now call a realist, which is somebody who just accepts reality as it is, so you might as well play the game. There's a lot of ways to to come out of this. I don't think CRT is necessarily at fault here. I don't think be, making people smarter or giving them tools of observation to analyze oppression, I don't think that inherently makes everybody hopeless and miserable. Um, it does feed those emotions a little bit, but it does also offer the opportunity of critiquing the system so that you can make a progressive change. I'm just saying because like you can go either route you can become hopeless and miserable because you know that there's oppression and exploitation in the world or you can use that negativity into the fight towards op uh, uh, positivity because that's kind of how the the law of polars work is that the negativity is only a polar to the positivity and you have to make that shift and we all have to do it we all have to participate as human beings on this planet so um i get where she's coming from uh, my problem is is that she's blaming the tools and not her own use of them or the you that or the view that other people have of these tools. Um, so I, I don't think it's critical race theory's fault that she saw a negative world. Um, I think people who uh, started this country created a negative world for a lot of people, and now we have to deal with the aftermath of that. It was like whatever it was like every look that i got was it was racist it was just racist and it was also racist sexist like it was more than just 
one thing. It was like everything you are is everything someone else hates. Like literally walk down to the store and I'm... It's not... It, it would be a hasty generalization to say America hates every woman, every black person, every gay person. Like it, that's a hasty generalization to assume that every American sits on that side. But that's not to say that people who hate gay people, who hate women, who hate black people haven't gained power and then use that power against them. That I feel like is a worthy criticism and is something that has happened for hundreds of years in this country. So um, while we can't say it's, you know, uh, active in every American mind, that's not right to say that's a hasty generalization. So it's wrong, but it is right to assume that there are people who live in this country who do hold those beliefs and who then tend to chase power in order to implement their worldview upon the rest of us. I'll not pay attention to all the people who walked by me and who were just normal. I would walk by like say 10 people and if one person like gave me a bad look or or you know they didn't move out of the way like they're walking and then like you know it's like oh what do you do and they just keep going. I interpreted that as like it's a an act it's a microaggression like that is an act of racism. So I think like with critical race theory, you'll, you will learn kind of the difference between explicit and implicit bias. But for her to say that it is critical race theory's fault for her assuming that other people are racist for their actions, that's not critical race theory's fault. She got taught how to observe uh, tools of oppression, but then started to apply it to um, uh, micro social interactions, which isn't necessarily what CRT is meant for. Like you can see racism in your day to day actions and not have to use critical race theory in order to do it, because critical race theory is usually the analyzation of laws, regulations and policies to see if they have racial tendencies. Um, so that's that's what's very strange to me here is that she's blaming crt and she's blaming wokeness and not necessarily taking the individual responsibility of how she used those things in her own world so um yeah so regardless of all the other interactions i was fine that one thing would ruin my day like i remember i felt like i would have a dagger in my heart but it wasn't just that see that's just going to the store now you have to it's very weird for me because like i accept critical race theory as a justifiable tool to use to analyze laws and regulations like i said but like it's not meant to be used in social interactions you're not supposed to look at somebody and be like they didn't hold the door for me are they racist that's not the point of critical race theory that's just social interactions so like again we're blaming wokeness for something that is more of a personal issue like honestly we don't need crt to observe a karen when, when a karen calls the cops for a black man walking in a park you don't need crt for that it's very obvious and it's right there um so and nobody gets mad at that particular situation because the karen is usually in the wrong and it's so obvious that we don't have to make that distinction so it's weird this 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 shift here into her personal experience of how wokeness is bad for the country nation your animals your family all of those things that she listed and yet it was mostly her uh her use of being aware of racism in this country being wrongfully used because she would assume somebody doing something rude was because she was black which is exactly the kind of like discussion that like online leftists have all the time where like you said the wrong 
uh, pronoun or you said the wrong, you said Latino instead of Latinx, therefore you're a bad person. It's the same kind of thing, but instead of getting her to kind of tweak the CRT and the tools that she has to observe oppression, she blamed the tools and let go of them completely. Like, I accept CRT as a tool to observe oppression, but I don't think every single American is racist. So you can, you can do both. The whole day, and if you ever get anything of someone treating you like crap, or if you ever get someone who like opens the door, right, for maybe their family, and then like you're a far way off and they don't open the door for you, like actions like that, I would interpret all of that as microaggressions against it. me. So that would make me so fragile that it. by the end of the day, I'm literally... I'm filled with so much darkness, I'm filled with so much anxiety, I'm filled with so much stress that I can't even, like, do my normal, like, work. Like, I can't live my life like that, right? Like, I can't live and actually work and give 100% of the task because I'm kind of under stress and duress, so, yeah. Huh? Um, I have, like, seven minutes to go on this one and then an eight-minute Crowder one. Almost there. See you later. That's what life was like. Like, honestly, like, that's what life was like when you are hyper aware of all these kind of critical theory notions and ideas. But again, like, when you're aware of those ideas and those things, and it, I know it seems like I wasn't listening, but I was. But when you're aware of those ideas and the tool to observe racist policies, it's not meant to be used in very small, like, social interactions. You can use, you can use your common sense, your base, to, to observe how someone is treating you and it has nothing to do with critical race theory because critical race theory is meant to observe systems and forms of oppression not somebody being a dick out in public especially like the neo-marxism stuff it's like i don't really know what to do with this energy except nice nice we're like we're now we're getting real and so after feeling like she was living in a negative place due to critical race theory she has now moved fully into the conservative rhetoric by saying neo-marxist like all we need now is neo-marxist uh postmodern multiculturalism like we just need the whole the whole phrase and then we'll be complete um neo-marxism like what are you even talking about Honestly, if you can give me the definition of who taught you that and what it is, I would love to hear it. Protest. I remember I was super like bothered about like no justice, no peace in LA. Like I wanted to do whatever I could to help. 2016, y'all, like 2016, I was out. Like I literally, I was out. When I heard like Trump was running and like, you know, CNN was saying, everything that was wrong with trump i literally couldn't function i couldn't like i couldn't pay attention in school and when trump got elected like i literally couldn't hand in assignments that quarter like i had to ask for extensions for my time limit because i literally couldn't focus i was like sick i was literally sick i was depressed i was stressed i remember i'd cry i would spend my entire night almost like throughout the night trying to block ben shapiro's account like trying to get it reported i would like report it to twitter like can you please suspend ben shapiro why is he still on here 
I remember that so vividly. And this lady called Ann Coulter, I think. I don't remember. I don't even know who she is. I don't know what she does. But I was like, Anne has to be removed. She's killing me. And that was my life. Like, literally, that was my existence every day. It wasn't until... But again, how does that, what does that have to do with like learning the tools of analyzing the systems of oppression? Like these are personal choices. I don't see how CRT is to be blamed here because you are aware of racism in America. Just because you decided to use it to uh, block Ben Shapiro and yell at Ann Coulter. Like that isn't race theory's fault. Too much. It literally wasn't until like it got too much that I couldn't function that I was like, I have to do something about it. It's like I have all these knives of like people not opening doors for me, people not looking at me well, uh, people not saying the thing that they should have said, people saying the wrong thing. I mean, just like getting looks, like getting looks was enough to trigger me for the day. And I was at a point where I was literally like, I'm a Christian. And I just had to be like, Lord, what do I do with this? Like, I, I feel horrible. I'm not at peace. Like, I am not at peace. And he was literally like, you have to forgive them. My word is very clear about offense. Don't be offended. <laughs> the Bible literally is like, don't be offended. And that that is that doesn't mean that no one should offend you. That just means that if someone offends you, don't take that offense to heart. Which, so I just... which still isn't a good reason to throw out critical race theory. Like, again, throwing out a tool of observing systems of oppression, I sound like a broken record. But, like, like you don't have to... God damn, dude. It, like, the, the water is so muddy right now. You don't have to throw away a tool to observe systems of oppression to not be so easily offended. That's not the through line to have here. Like we need these tools because people will use power to oppress others. We need these tools to analyze it, to talk about it and do something about it because you were so easily offended after being aware that the world is as oppressive and exploitative. That is not the tool's fault. That was how you perceive the world. That's very, very weird here how we're blaming wokeness and uh, critical race theory and the observation of systems of oppression rather than how you reacted to that. Just sitting down with like a, I think I had like a notebook or a journal and I just started writing. Like I just started writing all the names and everything anyone had ever done because I remembered it all. Like I remembered everything every white person had ever done, like a car ride, anything where they said anything. I held all of that here, guys. And it was too much to the point. I just had to write it. And I remember just like beginning. That was the beginning of feeling peace, writing it down. So this is if you're trying to find out how to have peace hopefully somehow this video is giving that to you just begin to write down everything and don't hold off race don't think like oh race is this untouchable field like we're not gonna go there no if someone has offended you because of a racist act write it down and i remember writing it, it down and then just being like okay i i let this go like i let this go i give it to you god like i I forgive them. Like, I forgive them for all the things that they did. These are people that I actually still have relationships with today. They probably don't know how much hate and how much, like, anger I had towards them for the things that they didn't even know they were doing. But in the moment of forgiveness, and this was a journey. This wasn't just, like, one journal. 
night. This was like, I had to do it over and over again. And if something resurfaced, I would be like, okay, I can't hold on to that. Like, I want to hold the grudge, but I'm like, this is going to break me apart. And I just... So I think the interesting thing here, like really interesting, is that like, I think the, the premise of the video is bad. To blame critical race theory, to blame wokeness and political correctness or whatever the left is doing that you want to demonize because of the way they interact with each other about social and race issues. Um, but I do like the message of getting over being offended, like especially if it's somebody doing something that they don't necessarily intend and coming through with the idea of forgiveness and compassion, which I think we can do with critical race theory like if we analyze certain laws and be like that one's racist that one goes against certain genders that one is against the working class people we use those observation tools and we dismantle oppressive legislation or even oppressive governments we use the tools that we have to analyze and justify the dismantling of that unjust and unfair system and you can do you can still forgive the people for doing that but it's really difficult because it does reach a certain point where that person was using their power intentfully to harm and cause the suffrage of others. You can forgive them to an extent, but that does not avoid them from accountability, especially when they hold public office, which is given immense amounts of power. And But those aren't the people we're talking about in this video. She was talking about people that, you know, crossed her in the street or her friends who had done something that she s thought was racist at the time but had to forgive them for later because they didn't really know what they were doing. CRT is meant for more powerful engagement, more powerful relationships than the personal ones. So I don't like that we're blaming these things that come out of academia to analyze our systems and getting mad at them because they affected our personal relationships because we use them wrong i just don't think that's like the best angle to come at this with but it will appease the conservatives because you're denouncing the thing that they hate which is analyzing systems of oppression just journal it down i just write it down i write down what went wrong and i'd say like you know what this person could have had a bad day and that is just as much as a possibility as as it would have been that it was a racist act like I had to be open to those possibilities, otherwise I'd never let go of the grudge. And so I just did this over and over again, and it took about a year. Honestly, guys, like it took a year to kind of go through all those incidents and journal it out and be like, you know what, I can't hold on to this. This is another one that I'm trying to keep forever and hold on to it for fuel, for fire. But ultimately, guys, when I tell you now, I had so much peace, you guys, and I still have so much peace. And it actually isn't just about those incidents and like forgetting them. I remember them vividly, but there's no pain attached to them. And I cannot tell you, I've never had this amount of control in my life emotionally um, and in terms of like my psyche. Like I feel so much peace from morning to sundown. So through that process of forgiveness. It's much more harder for me to take offense now because I had to reject that whole that whole mode of thinking. And I'm like, yo, I don't even wanna play your woke game. That alone is adding such a burden to my life that I haven't been able to find or correlate in actual reality. Like it is a burden that is optional because it doesn't actually exist in real life. And since I let that go, I can sleep a full night's sleep and not toss and turn. 
I can look at Ben Shapiro and be like, yo, live your life. I don't really care. I can be like, I'm going to paint right now. Like, I literally have a painting right here. I can paint when I want. I'm always at peace 24-7, yo. Like, this is why I really want my black brothers and sisters to consider forgiveness. And then maybe in your own time, you can forgive because it's like you're being robbed of your own peace. And guess what? You're the only life you're going to live. You're not going to. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say that I agree with her to an extent. But here's the thing is that like y- y- you are probably more likely to be like more miserable all the time if you think everybody is racist but you're also just as likely to be as lazy if you are racist all the time um and i i'm just a broken record at this point like crt critical race theory and these things that we use to observe systems of oppression not individual interactions um are important to have and they haven't really ruined too many of my relationships i don't think but i I also don't assume all of my friends are misogynist racist douchebags um i don't even assume that out of like most people unless they do an overtly racist misogynistic douchebaggy thing so like it's not we're blaming the wrong thing here and it really robs people intellectually yet again because we're focusing in on how it affected her personal relationships because she wasn't involved in any kind of organizing that was meant to actually uh, change the systems of oppressions in themselves which CRT would be more successful at doing rather than analyzing racist situations in your personal life like live another life like the guarantee of that is never there right now your soul your existence your consciousness it's only you you're the only body you're gonna embody on this earth at this time so ultimately because of this i couldn't hold on to wokeness anymore like wokeness was literally crippling me literally crippling me i couldn't see the gain in it in any way whatsoever there was just no gain in being woke and my lived experience can change but then my lived experience gets challenged because it doesn't fit the narrative. There's just so many things I was like, this isn't worth it. I'm just gonna have my own life and I'm gonna live my own life. I'm gonna be my own person. Like I was done with it and I'm done with it. Now I'm free. Like I am so free. You're robbing yourself of the best experience of your life, which is just being free deep down in your soul. That's all I have to say. That is how I escaped the cult of wokeness. If you like this video, like this video. I mean, good for her. Good for her for, you know, uh, finding her inner happiness. That, that I can definitely say, is a good thing. Everybody should be able Hello. to find their inner happiness. Um, I just think a lot of things were mischaracterized and misrepresented and then also used wrongfully. Um, but I think it's very interesting because she's now made videos basically just being anti-anti-racist. Huh. Interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to another video sometime. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really, I didn't like most of that. And I feel like if I say anything more, I'm just going to be repeating myself. So we're, we'll, we'll finish it now with Crowder, who has been circumventing uh, YouTube's ban with this channel called The Red American. The Red American, who I suspect is Crowder, uh, has been uploading his video segments from his show. So, uh, very fascinating how YouTube's literally doing nothing about it, but I guess that's because they banned a channel, and until these videos break the, uh, certain, uh, uh, terms of service, then it'll continue going on, but, uh, yeah, this, I think this'll wrap up the, the whole woke train that we've been on, so, let's get it. With Crowder is brought to you in part by... 
Freedomofspeech.com. Here's another thing, too, while we're talking about not just freedom, not just freedom. Like how I know, too, that that, that like it's more likely to be a Crowder channel to circumvent YouTube's uh, terms of service uh, or to circumvent his ban is that it literally opens up with an advertisement for his mug club. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is just like exactly what his YouTube channel was for. But now he can't have it under his name because he's banned. Freedom of speech. So you've got Seth Rogen now, if you just, uh, here's actually something I think he gave to The Independent, him talking about how he doesn't understand how any comedians have a problem with cancel culture. <coughs> okay, first off, this is, and I understand the irony, wow. we need to stop importing Canadians. Look, they come, <laughs> they come from a That's land the real problem, yeah. where they do not, they do not understand freedom of speech. It doesn't exist. No. In Canada, they go, oh, we're going to shut down churches. People go, oh, okay. Yeah. Canada say It's very funny because Crowder's from Canada. <laughs> and it, I don't know. It's like the same thing that my grandma said is that like her her parents were immigrants. And then like not too long ago, she told me that the country's full. And it's just like, wow, like uh, just imagine if people were making that argument when you were trying to come into the country. It's uh, it's not a good one. It's not a good argument. Say we're going to find comedians like our friend Mike Ward for making jokes that people find offensive. They aren't even Love political. Oh, OK. Yeah. In Canada, they're OK with it. And they want that here. And they, they want the laws of the land, they had to leave to become no, no, successful be right in order to be able to speak. Oh, I'll be right back. Got my bucha. Speak freely, like all comedians. Yeah. They want to change. It's like Californians going to Texas. And by the way, he said, uh, I've never said anything horrific. No, that's subjective to some people. Of course. Yeah. But he said, just remember if you're Jewish. Oh, this is on his Twitter. Just remember if you're Jewish, white supremacists hate you too. Save from what? How? What happens to the Jews in relation to the Christians and your beliefs? Hey, Jack Dorsey, maybe do something about all the white supremacists and verified and the amplified accounts. Ted Cruz, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> Look, some people... <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Mm. Is it is that Seth Rogen or is it Rachel Maddow? I know. Uh, it's yeah. one of those things. <laughs> it's a toss-up. Uh, um, also, you started a, almost an international almost an international war because of a yeah. film you made about Kim Jong-un. Now, here's something you need to understand. When, 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 uh, when I was about to say Ted Cruz. When Which Seth started Rogen, with a Wait a minute. Doesn't Crowder argue the case that like free speech is like really important, but now he's mad at Seth Rogen because Seth Rogen made a movie a long time ago about uh, the North Korean leader, which wasn't in favorable light of the North Korean leader. And also, wouldn't we be proud of, a, of of an American dunking on North Korea? Because we're not big fans of them either. So, like, why are we why are we switching who we're for and against right now? Is it to make a point? The giant gay joke with Eminem, by the way. Just want to point yeah, that out. Exactly. The, the North Korea thing? Yep. Yeah. The whole thing was Eminem coming out of the closet, making fun of gay people was the opening of that movie for mm -hmm. somebody who's never made fun of a subjugated group. Right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. He I don't think he was making fun of gay people with that joke. It was a joke. Like, it, it, what? Like, 
I don't think it was making fun of gay people. It was just making a joke if like as if what if uh, Eminem came out as gay, which like, you know, if you know Eminem rap songs, he uses fag all the time. So it's like it pretty funny joke, especially when he says at the point like um, that he was doing it as a defense mechanism to keep himself in the closet. Like, um, I don't think that was offensive towards gay people. It didn't make any dis like it didn't, you know knock down gay people like crowder for for months would call call carlos maza a lispy queer and call that a joke when that's like specifically like what a bully would say as you pass him in the hallways because he's all insecure about his own sexuality or he just doesn't like that you're a proud human being living your own life he's made fun of of course the christians the jews and of course uh the gays what about north the korean movie? by the way rape culture have you guys seen his films oh well but also, too, like, it, there's nothing wrong with making fun of gay people or Christianity or uh, Jewish people or Judaism. Um, it's always the context. The The context is more important than, you know, whether or not we joked about somebody. Because um, like I said, calling somebody a lispy queer, while you may think it's a joke, um, sounds pretty slurish. And like you're uh, you, you sound like a bully. You sound like a douchebag. So, um it's, it's it's about the context. Well, let's see. There's the forty year old virgin. There's knocked up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can someone tell me what forty year old virgin has to do with rape culture? I I, I would actually like to know. Um, also, what does knocked up have to do with rape culture? <laughs> uh, boy, what, where he what, knowingly what? seeks out women who are inebriated. Yes. There. Wait. Which movie does Seth Rogen seek out women who are inebriated? What? What? Like the, again? This is like some straw man shit where you're misrepresenting what's happening. Um, okay, but go on, go ahead. There's Zach and Mira make a porno where Jason Mewes has actual sex with a porn star in the film. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of movies. Yeah, there, observant report. What does that have to do with rape culture too? That like. They were making a porno, and he's having consensual sex with a porn star to make money so that they don't get kicked out of their house. What part of that is rape culture? I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Observe and Observe report. And, report. Right? and the whole point here is, look, I don't think... Observe and report wasn't pro-rape. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Do I think it's rape? No. I think it's degenerate culture. But then you want to act. There like we go. Okay, we shifted the goalpost back. Back here, we started saying he 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 his movies represent rape culture. Let's list the movies, and then at the end of that, actually, I think it's more about degenerate culture than it is rape culture. Sorry, guys, I, I misspoke at the beginning. It's Southern Baptists who are perpetuating rape culture. No, the only place you have a pedophile rape problem is your community. For crying out loud, Kevin Spacey is coming back doing a film about being a child rape detective. <laughs> All right, I'm not too sure about the Southern Baptists. Uh, Westboro Baptists would go to like, uh, um, like soldiers' uh, funerals and say a bunch of uh, homophobic slurs and also talk down at our um, or talk down about our vets, which you know I would think Crowder would be against, um, but but maybe not. I don't I don't know the Westboro. Baptist Church isn't Southern, so I don't think that's who he's talking about, but we'll move on. Um, who else is well-known for their pedophilia? Oh, yeah, the Catholic Church. That's right. Yeah, the Catholics. Um, 
there's 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 been a lot of news about the Catholic Church uh, covering up and moving priests who have committed uh, molestation and sexual assault on children. So uh, if you think Hollywood is the only one guilty of this, then you're wrong. Um, and also, too, uh, Kevin Spacey's return is a movie in Italy. So we're having a hasty generalization by saying that, you know, Kevin Spacey, because he's in a film uh, that Hollywood yet again is supporting a pedophile. Um, no, not not quite. I, I don't like that. You know, it, it, I think it I think it's funny that Kevin Spacey has to go to Italy to make a movie. Um, but I think there's probably like some kind of connection in there that like somebody's helping Kevin Spacey kind of slowly reintroduce himself into entertainment yet again. But um, Hollywood does have a problem of sexual assault, sexual harassment, misogyny, and all of that. Um, but it does seem interesting that Crowder's ignoring the Catholic Church right now. That's his comeback. It only exists where you live. And these people in a yeah. bubble are like, yeah, it's rape culture, right? It's uh, because of uh, Ted Haggard and Joel Olstein. <laughs> no, it's because of you. And I think that you should have every right to make those films. But going back to North Korea, and that's a good point. I Again, are those films about rape culture or degenerate culture? And if you could provide any evidence about those whatsoever, I would love to hear that. Even though, too, you say they're degenerate culture and then say they're funny movies. What are we actually mad about here? This is weird. Are, are, are we calling out this guy for being fake woke or is he like uh, too offensive that we should cancel him? What are we talking about? Forgot about uh, Eminem coming. And it was yeah. funny, by the way. It was yeah, funny. It was I'm not funny. saying it wasn't. No, it of was course. funny. It was yeah. absolutely funny, but rules for me, not for thee. Here's something that he Again, Crowder, the way you joked about a gay person was uh, what people call punching down. Like you, you were, you were being very specifically homophobic it, 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 to hurt somebody's feelings or to hurt their image. Um, Eminem participating in a joke where he comes out of the closet, that doesn't punch down on anybody. I mean, I would have to watch it again. Maybe he says, like, you know, something homophobic in it, but I, I, I think we were watching a film that lives in a fantasy world where two... Uh, journalists go over to do a, a secret operation for the CIA to assassinate Kim Jong-il or Un. Like, we're, we're, we're talking about a fantasy. Y you, in real life, for weeks, called somebody a lispy queer. And then also would, like, talk about him. Like, you would imitate him with a lisp. So, like, it's not the same thing, man. And I know you know that. He doesn't understand. When someone is allowed to simply determine what's offensive and horrible, when you're allowing it to be subjective as opposed to the First Amendment, you end up... It is subjective because a white su what a white supremacist finds offensive, gay marriage, isn't what a gay couple would find offensive, which is white supremacy. So, yeah, it is subjective. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you kind of have to figure out what the line of that subjectivity is. Are you looking for a more empathetic system or a compassionate outlook on society where we shouldn't hate people for who they have sex with, with uh, what they believe and what their skin color is? Or do you think that we all have to fit inside a rigid line to pursue a future for our white children? Like, do you see the distinction here? Like th that there's there is a reason why uh, rules for if rules for thee and not for me. And that might be because other people have extremely harmful views, like ones that would mean going to a civil war to overthrow the government so that they can implement uh, their uh, traditional values and their uh, white race ideology. Like, come on, dude, you know, you know.
with, well, what happened with, uh, what was it called, the interview? Yeah. It's yeah, not that you made fun yeah, of Kim yeah. Jong-un. A lot of people don't know this. People love him in North Korea because they've been brainwashed. Yeah. Because it's propaganda. An entire nation of people, I can't think of people more subjugated than the North Korean people, but they have Stockholm Syndrome, felt like it was an affront to their way of life. Why, why would you do that, Seth Rogen? Why would you attack the North Korean people by crapping on their dictator? Now, my point is, I don't think you were. I think you have the... What? <laughs> what? You do think they were. You're the one who made this argument right now. And then you're like arguing against yourself and reversing it. Right to. But you don't believe that other people do. That's the issue here. It's amazing yeah. to me that these people don't see the slippery slope. Look, comedians already have, they already have a built-in regulator. It's the audience. The audience will let you know if something is too far, if something is racist. Yes, that's 100% accurate. Well, they always say something like, well, if you say something completely horrible, of course you should be removed. Okay, well, define horrible. Yeah. Help me understand where the line is because the nice. this guy this this guy's like, I don't know what horrible is. If you guys keep calling everything horrible, I I like you have to define the word horrible for me. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep saying horrible things because I don't know. It's good. It's good. It's good whole problem that we have is that this line keeps moving, and our argument is that the line shouldn't exist in the first place. Well, keep you in mind the audience be the line. Well, horrible was yeah. Jordan Peterson not being able to say he or she when he preferred it and couldn't tell the difference between somebody, and it almost gets drummed out of academia. Yeah, well, and yeah but he was also making the conscious choice of just not using gender-neutral pronouns whenever. Like, if you have a hard time uh, assessing someone's gender, just use neutral pronouns all the time, and then guess what? You'll never find yourself in a pickle. Unless you come across a conservative that says, hey, they is for plural nouns, and I am one person. You know, that's the that's probably the only time you're going to get an argument against gender-neutral pronouns. And let's see how that works. Oh, yeah, it made him insanely famous. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Also, in, in, in uh, Blaze chat, we have... So they even just argued uh, against the case of, like, cancel culture, is that, like, uh, Jordan Peterson w went against the pronouns, and then they tried to cancel him for it, and guess what? He's more famous than ever. As if, like, cancel culture doesn't actually fucking work. Of Charles Braddy. What about Pineapple Express when he's actually dating a high schooler? Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that's right. Well, they don't see anything wrong with that. No. They just well, think. No. I don't think they watched the same movie that we did because, like, Seth Rogen dating um, uh, a, a, a high schooler in that movie was to highlight that he was a emotionally crippled, immature man. Like, it, it wasn't used as something that, like, you should be proud of. What, what do you mean? Like, and at what point is like Seth Rogen's character redeemable? Like he's he's like his character, while funny, is kind of like easy to hate all the way up until the end because he's not only a bad older boyfriend, he's a bad person and a bad friend, and like he doesn't redeem himself until the end of the movie. So you're not supposed to uh, worship the fact that he dates a high schooler. So that's like that's not the point of the movie. You know, they have to talk with their PR person for optics, like David Cross, right? And he was, uh, what's, what's your name, Amber? What's his name of his girlfriend? Oh, uh, oh, the, not, oh, not Amber Heard. That was Johnny Depp. No, she was the one who was, she was the one who was beating up Johnny Depp like he was a Walmart driver. Right. Yes, well, <laughs> yeah, and then, 
Saying that he was snorting coke through a tampon applicator. Yeah. Ah. That's what she said. Yeah. No, I'm serious. She took photos of it, and people were like, well, this is not real anymore. Uh, yeah. And then they realized that she was beating him up. Anyway. Yeah. The point. Yeah. Good point. No, Dating a high schooler. And by the way, that's something that we would just be like, even on this show, which has been accused of being way too edgy, we'd be like, no, let's not do a joke about dating a high schooler. Right. Unless it's making fun of someone like a Seth Rogen for dating a high schooler. Or like an old school where he finds out she was like, oh, crap. Yeah. In high school. Well, and Vince Vaughn has a moment of clarity in that movie, though, yeah. where in Seth Rogen films, he doesn't. No. Not that I don't find them funny, but it's, well, you're right about cancel. Yeah, but the difference in old school, too, with Vince Vaughn is that they were college students, and in America, that's the line that we draw it. Um, old school was a different movie and different lines. While she was younger than him, uh, technically legal. Um, fuck, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. The goalposts have shifted so much. I don't. I don't are there goalposts? Are the goalposts imaginary? Like you've really just said something there where it's taking something that's already successful that people enjoy and getting rid of it. Yeah. That's the problem with cancel culture. It's not saying that we shouldn't make this. It's taking away something we've already... They called putting a like uh, an advisory at the beginning of Sesame Street was cancel culture. But now cancel culture is when you enjoy something and you get rid of it. We didn't get rid of up the Sesame Street. We just put a little content warning on the older episodes. It's not gone. What what's gone that was canceled? I, w I, w I honestly want to know too because even Gina Carano from The Mandalorian, she's got a new job at the Daily Wire where she can say whatever conservative shit she wants and not feel pressure from Disney to be the type of person that she's not. But also too, like Chris Pratt is just as conservative as Gina Carano and he has no problems. So what <laughs> what is going on with this bullshit and why does why do so many people care about it? already decided should yeah. exist well it's 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 both and the issue is cancel culture and people say there's no cancel culture there's accountability culture yes. look there is accountability anyone you know you've been in an audience of course oh, i'm held accountable to what i said because it's not funny people aren't laughing yeah. no cancel culture is people who are not even part of the audience determining that they know better than the audience and putting enough pressure on executives to remove your livelihood it's not the can you define who the audience is because uh, if people can see it, then they're the audience. So what do you mean they're not the audience? What, is, what does any of this mean? What is this eight minutes of bullshit? Majority of people. Look, in any instance of cancel culture, when you're talking about this, these people wouldn't lose their livelihoods because the remaining half of the country would support them. It's they lose advertisers. It's they lose the yeah. ability to make a living because people like Seth Rogen in three major cities across the country determine what is and what is not permissible. No one has a problem with an audience saying, we don't like it. You know what yeah. that's called? If you're not getting advertisements, if you're not getting support from business, it's because it doesn't behoove them on the bottom line to support you. You might actually be like anti-revenue to, to, to them because people might not be interested in your shit based on the shit that you say. Again, it's not cancel culture like this thing only came out of the Internet because people's opinions are out there all the time, obviously. Um, but it doesn't stop people from finding their audience. They, they're still able to do that also because of the Internet. It just might not be as wide because people are aware of their poor behavior or their poor taste in words. Um, hmm. Yeah, this this is this is a, a intellectually vacant conversation. Wow. This
I find it so depressing every time too, because like people who go to these things are really looking for like intellectual food. Like they want to talk about ideas. They want to talk about philosophy. They want to talk about culture. They want to talk about society. And whenever they go to like Crowder, it's, it has the opposite effect of feeding you. And I feel like it's, it's somebody literally robbing you and selling your food back to you. Um, in worse shape than you sold it it's it's so weird um because like i really can't tell you what like the overall lesson of this video is other than like hollywood is a bunch is full of a bunch of fake wokesters and seth rogan is a genuinely bad person which you know we could always have that discussion because of like how much he knew of james franco's behavior and all of that shit um but like based off of what he's done cinematically i'm not really seeing the through line here called at once upon a time a box office bomb mm. it's called your tour is no longer successful yeah. that's not what cancel culture is it's just like privileged white bitches deciding that they're going to speak for black people it's these people saying no, no 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 this is too offensive we can't allow anyone else to see it even though they've already decided to vote with their dollar okay and they know they're not great people they made a movie about the apocalypse happening and they're all left on earth during the rapture oh by the way doesn't someone get raped by satan <laughs> jonah hill gets raped by a demon in that movie yes yeah. and then danny mcbride uh forces sex on <laughs> oh jonah hill got raped by a demon in that movie they're supporting rape culture you hear that y'all such bad people Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, who he keeps on a dog leash. Well, you know what? This is the whole rule, right, with them. As you go, that's. But if you also remember, like, that movie, like, none of them were really good characters except for. No, he was also kind of a douchebag at the end, too. Most of the characters in that movie are bad people. And, like, that's why they get left behind during the rapture. Like, it's a, it's a movie about redemption. Um. So th this is a weird, weird uh, seg segue we've, we've taken here. It's hilarious, pretty, by it, the it's way. It's funny. It's yeah. really funny. But you go, this is pretty dirty. This is pretty depraved. Yes. Why all of a sudden is he deciding that some, like, how is Seth? Who, who like, honestly, too, who has gotten canceled for being dirty or depraved? Like, in, in those words. Um, because horror movies have always been dirty and depraved. Um, you know, all the teen sex movies from the early 2000s have been kind of dirty and depraved. Like, who's been canceled for these things? It's mostly about social issues where you're talking about oppression that most of this usually comes out of. So I, God damn it, man. Just like literally, I feel like I actually get dumber doing this when I'm trying to actually become more informed. Rogan determining that Ted Cruz is offensive. Right. It's because they go, no, 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 no. Raping a, guy, a demon raping a guy, mocking Christianity, mocking men. It's totally fine because it's white men. So that's okay. We can make it as vulgar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody is cool with them getting raped by a demon because they're all white. Like, if it was a black cast, we would all have canceled this is the end. Sure. This is this is the peak of logic. We've, hit, we've turned the dial on high-level ideas, people. We can make it as NC-17 as we want. Yeah. We can attack people with no repercussion. And by the way, you should be able to, as long as the audience can vote with their dollar, because it's a white male. Yep. This is the issue here. It's not the audience determining yeah. it. It's you. And Joe Do you guys not remember when Nick, like Nick Cannon got canceled for saying some racist shit? Do you really think that it's only white people that have this problem? Come on. Come on. On a hill. Okay. But they're a barrel full of laughs these days. So uh, <laughs> Fulton, Fulton <laughs> it's gotten so bad. It's just upsetting. Sorry. I know you want to move on. I'm just no, upset. It's, okay. it's just comedy and it's being oh. destroyed by 
But well, actually, I think the most offensive thing he's ever done is that road trip movie with I think Bar- it's Barbara with Streisand. Babs. Is that who yeah. it's with? Yeah. That's when he decided, you know what? Funny's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> when you see him promoting the film, like they don't believe it. He's like, yeah, it was such an honor, you know, to work with uh, Barbara Streisand, Babs. And I'm just really, I think audiences are going to really get a kick out of it. And you can just see him dying <laughs> yeah. inside. He's like, I've seen it. That's why I love Johnny Depp on Letterman there. He's like, what do you think of it? He's like, I've never watched any of my movies. <laughs> He's just honest. He's like, I don't know. You might like it. Listening, of course, to the audio version, just forward it to people. Apple. Uh, I Spotify, used to say iTunes, I, but Apple, Android, and then the advertisement for Crowder Show. All right, I am officially drained of all brain cells. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Talks News in all of its wokeness glory. Um, find me on Twitter at Talks and Pod Two X N P O D. Like if you liked it, dislike if you don't. Rate, review, subscribe, ring the bell. Um, shit, what else? What else do people say? Um, comment your 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 hate speech below. Um, or or your love feels um yeah this is the podcast you know what this that's it that's that's the outro that's whatever i insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but uh, you remain one.